Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for wonderful worship today. We're coming to the close, I believe, one more sermon in our Acts series today. Next to the last, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, Bible story not told very often about the boy who took a nap in church. What makes you sleepy? A warm bath, a big meal, a Sunday afternoon in a recliner with a one-sided football game in the background lulling you to sleep as you snore. Now, I know none of you would ever do this, but I actually know a few people, if you ask them what time they go to bed, they'll say, oh, we go to bed at 11, 11.30 at night. What they fail to tell you is that at 6.30, he's in his chair and she's on the couch and they're watching television and they're nodding for about four hours before they ever officially go to bed. If you were to ask them what time do you go to bed, they would say 11, but the truth would be 6.30 uh, on the couch nodding. They're in that pretending I haven't gone to bed yet state when they've really just gone to bed in the den. Strangely enough, sometimes we get our very best sleep when we're not supposed to be sleeping, don't we? Oh, I know what makes you sleepy sometimes, an airplane. I never go to sleep on airplanes, but I notice the minute that it takes off, mouths drop, heads hit the window, and I don't know if it's the altitude or just the exhaustion for traveling. I don't know, but I do know if you put people on the airplane and take them up in the air, it's night-night time for most of the people on the plane. Well, maybe it's not an airplane for some of you or the den at 6.30 at night, Maybe for some of you, church seems like a nice place to take a nap. The preacher begins those rhythmic tones. His voice kind of becomes like Charlie Brown's teacher in the distance. Wah, 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 wah. The room is a bit too warm. The sermon is a bit too dull, other churches of course, the sermon is a bit too dull, and you're just a bit too tired, and off to napping you go. One of the reasons that we go to sleep in church is we're just too tired when we get here. Dan, it does make me feel better that half of them are asleep when I get up here to preach already from the music. 63% of people surveyed say they get less than the recommended eight hours of sleep a night. From that 63%, 31% say they get less than seven hours per night, and 40% of Americans say they have a hard time staying awake all day long. We are not going to bed and getting a rest. We have found ourselves in a dangerous state, in fact, it's called insufficient sleep syndrome, drowsiness, others call it. Drowsiness is blamed worldwide for 38,000 deaths per year. In the United States alone, 2,000, 2,000 people die at the wheel because of drowsiness. 
The direct cost of drowsiness in the American economy is $16 billion. The indirect cost from unproductivity, being tired, is $150 billion. 70 million Americans suffer from insufficient sleep syndrome. In fact, one of the deacons was talking about the sermon in the study this morning, and he said on the way into church this morning, he heard about these sleeping pods that Google has purchased, and they're about $20,000 a piece, and on the clock, you can go get in the pod at Google and take a nap because they know you're, you're too tired to be productive. They want you to take a nap and then come back to work and be productive again. In 1910... Americans averaged nine hours of sleep a night. Well, you'd think today with all the computer help we have and all the automation that we'd be sleeping a lot more now. Today, it is down to seven. In 1979, drowsiness played a role in Three Mile Island nuclear plant accident. And then 10 years later, we all know about the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska. Drowsiness. People literally asleep at the wheel. Well, Edison got all this started, didn't he? When he invented the light bulb. Edison did not believe in sleep. That's why he invented the light bulb. He didn't like sleep. He said, our cells don't sleep. Fish don't sleep. Horses don't sleep. So he said, we shouldn't be sleeping either. It is a conditioned state. We need to stay awake. So maybe that's why Edison invented the light bulb. In some ways, I must say, I kind of agree with Edison. If a man lives to be 75 years, he sleeps eight hours a night, he has slept 25 years of his life away. That seems like such a waste, doesn't it? That a man lives to 75 and 25 years of his lifespan because he got the eight hours of sleep are wasted with sleep. On the other hand, those of us who press the margin and try to stay awake and, and work off four or five hours of sleep at night, we're less productive when we're awake and probably aren't doing ourselves or others any favors either. You skip an hour and a half one night and think it's no big deal. The next night, you cheat another hour and a half. By the fifth night, you have lost by Thursday night, if you're starting on Monday, you've lost seven and a half hours of sleep, a whole night's sleep by taking off an hour and a half each night, and by Friday, you're just praying to be able to make it through the day. Max Hershkowitz, director of the sleep lab run by Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, said that the reality is we have all become so accustomed to being tired that we really don't even know what it feels like to have actual rest anymore. We just, we're like a cell phone on half battery. We'd, we've forgotten what it feels like to wake up invigorated, rested, and ready to go for the day. Now, Edison was smart, obviously, but Albert Einstein might have been smarter. Albert Einstein averaged 11 hours of sleep a night. And didn't he have some pretty smart thoughts? Well, we all want to get just enough sleep to be at our peak, to be productive through the days. But of all the places, some people trying to catch up on their sleep in church. 
Did you know that in the 1600s, it was a, a crime to sleep in church? We could arrest half of you this morning if we brought the police in. In fact, I found a case, 1646, Roger Scott in Massachusetts was arrested for sleeping in church. And back in the good old days, some big guys walked around with long sticks. And when you went to sleep in church, it would be whack, whack. And they would awaken you from your slumber, from your sleep, from your rest in church. Now, I've tried to think of an alternative to that. Maybe the sticks and the big guys are a little bit brutal. But what if we had a sleep cam? What if the guys or the cameras were kind of panning the audience to find someone dozing off and they stopped and all of a sudden on the sleep cam, we would see Miss Jones right there asleep on the sleep cam and her neighbor would elbow her. She'd wake up and see herself on the cam. I bet she'd stay awake next Sunday. <laughs> Maybe we'll try that one week. There are a lot of bad things can happen when we fall asleep in church. I heard Jess Moody tell this story. He's an evangelist, a preacher. He was doing a revival, visiting as an evangelist in a church, and Dan, he said that the leader of music, the minister of music would sleep every night during the whole revival sermon. He says, I don't mean light sleep. I mean, he got in that deep REM sleep on that front row the whole time I was preaching. I heard Jess Moody tell this story himself. He was preaching along, it was about the third night of the revival, and it came to his mind, they, they teach you in seminary, you have to pause. You can't just keep plowing. You have to give that pregnant pause for people to catch up emotionally and cognitively, intellectually to the message. You, you need to stop sometimes to, to give that pregnant pause. He was preaching along with that third night of the revival, and he was only 12 minutes into his sermon, and he thought, he heard his seminary professor saying, his homilex professor, this is a good time for one of those powerful pauses to allow your, your congregation to catch up. He gave one of those powerful pauses. The minister of music popped up right there from his first seat and says, 578, our hymn of invitation, 578. He just started the sermon. He said he had to embarrass that guy or sit down, and so he decided to just go sit down. And they were 10 minutes, uh, 12 minutes into a 35-minute sermon, and, well, he said more people were saved that night of revival than any <laughs> other night. So, Dan, you just pop up when you feel led and uh, call out our hymn of invitation. Where did all this sleeping in church begin? Who was the first one to ever think that church was a nice place to take a nap? His name is Eutychus. Eutychus of Acts 20. In Acts 20, we begin with Luke using the plural. So here in Acts 20, Luke is traveling with Paul, and the physician Luke is taking notes of what's happening as they travel. Paul and his traveling companions have come to Troas. Some of them are waiting there for him, verse 5. Look at verse 6. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and Cain to them at Troas within five days, and we stayed for seven days. On the first day 
of the week. So they're there in Troas for a week. It's probably the last day of their stay, but it's Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, back then, Sunday would have been a work day. That culture would have rested on the Sabbath, which would have been the day before. And it's probably true that earliest Christians both observed the Sabbath and they also, after their work day on Sunday, actually worshiped as well. And so we see in this passage that worship was transformed from the Sabbath to Sunday, the day of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, this is one of the earliest evidences we have of worship being transformed to Sunday. Look at verse 7. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, ah, perhaps the Lord's Supper, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. They had worked all day, and Paul was in preaching mode, and he was preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. It was sort of a question-answer time, perhaps. And Paul was just the kind of guy, if you ask him a question, his answer was a sermon. It was an epistle. It was a paragraph. He didn't give short, terse, sufficient answers. Paul would go on and on and on. They're gathered together in Troas on Sunday, Sunday evening. They've worked all day, and Paul is preaching, and they are listening. In Eutychus, he had never known a sermon to go so long. Now, one of the advantages you have is we're on live television. We're on live radio at 11 and live radio at night. And so I'm probably the only preacher in town with a countdown clock. You can see right there how long I'm going to go. If you've never recognized it, there it is right up there in the corner of that glass. We've got 19 minutes and 14 seconds left. Eutychus wished Paul had one of those. Paul didn't have that clock. And so Paul was talking and preaching. And you ever been in that classroom experience when the teacher, the professor says, does anyone have any questions? And you look around hoping no one else has another question. But someone always has another question. And Paul is answering questions. And maybe Eutychus had a little question, but he wasn't going to ask it because he wanted to go home. But everybody else was asking questions. And Paul certainly had the answers. Don't forget, Paul had been trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest theologians of what we would call Old Testament Scripture. He had sat at the feet of one of the best professors of theology, and so Paul, having experienced the resurrected Jesus, and Paul, having trained under Gamaliel, he had the answers. I have a feeling, I like to imagine, that the main theme that evening was the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what Paul liked to preach about the most anyway. Why would it be any different that evening? 
He was preaching and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And there were some people there who believed when Paul was preaching. There are other people who didn't believe. And for their questions, the apostle Paul had the answers. He spoke with authority when he preached. He went so long, I imagine they had to take a few breaks. But the people kept asking questions, and Paul kept answering. And by now, the sun was setting in the west, and it was getting dark, and the first person lit an oil lamp, and the next person lit an oil lamp. And while it was getting dark, and those oil lamps, they burned like candles to illuminate the place of worship. But there was a black grease, an oil that went up to heaven. And well, Eutychus was on the third floor, and he was getting all that smoke and exhaust and all that grease. And well, perhaps he kind of got sleepy, and he decided to go over and sit by the window by the window, maybe he wouldn't smell all the fumes from the, the oil of the lamps. And so that's why I think he's sitting in the window trying to get some cool, fresh air. You're in the car and you're driving, and what do you do? You, you turn on the air conditioner or you roll down the windows. You do whatever you can to get the fresh air. Eutychus has gone to the window because Eutychus can't breathe, and Paul keeps on preaching. It is midnight, and the man is still going with his sermon, and Eutychus has had it. Maybe he has a headache by now from the exhaust, from the oil lamps. I don't think he knows when he starts to nod. You know, when we start that nodding, we convince ourselves we're really not. Just, I'm a, you ever heard anybody say, I'm going to close my eyes for just a second? <laughs> really? Well, then why close them if you're going to close your eyes for just a second? And Paul's voice it starts traveling deeper and deeper, and it's just kind of the voice of the apostle is going to the background. By the way, it does all preachers good to learn that people slept when Paul preached too. And the voice is going deeper and deeper as Paul is preaching. And, well, I don't think he knew when he fell. He just went back out that window. And maybe he awakened right before there was the thud. And then there was the thud. And some lady screamed that Eutychus has fallen from the window. And Paul stopped preaching. And guess who I think got there first? Who, just like in this room, somebody goes down. Our doctors are trained to go first. Luke's a doctor. He wrote the story. Luke gets up. Luke heads down to go to poor Eutychus. And Luke, being a trained physician, says, I know dead when I see it. Eutychus is dead. Look at verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room, and we were gathered together. By the way, that's a good definition of church right there, gathered together. And there was a, a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, now that's an understatement for a guy who's going to midnight. As Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. There he is. He's dead. Luke himself, a physician, says he's dead. 
Paul is older now, takes a little more time to get down from. He, Paul makes it down, makes it outside of the space of worship. And he goes and he finds Eutychus. And I imagine the scene to be something like Elijah or Elisha. They both did it. Kind of lays his body on top of the body of little Eutychus. And he says a prayer. Look at verse 10. But Paul went down and fell upon him. That's like Elisha or Elijah. And after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. Now Luke's thinking, I'm the doctor here. I know dead when I see it. Paul, he's dead. Don't give them false hope. Why would you say something like that? Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And he prayed. Look at verse 11. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Paul doesn't know when to quit, does he? The guy sacrificed his life to stop the sermon. He just jumped from the window because he could take no more. And, and, and then he, Paul resurrects a guy who jumps from the window, makes him go back and sit down and preaches until the, the sun rises. Paul didn't know a lot about sleep if he's willing to preach all night long. What do we conclude from a sermon like this? You might look at it and say, sleeping in church is dangerous. Really, really dangerous. Oh, you're probably not going to fall out of the stained glass windows up there like Eutychus and die. But if you miss, if you miss the proclamation of God's Word, if you miss the wonder of His worship, you miss the power of the resurrection. Eutychus found the power of the resurrection by sleeping in church, but we'll miss it if we sleep this hour. I imagine that Paul, I told you the beginning, was preaching about the power of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. Could you think of anything to make the sermon more powerful than to go downstairs and resurrect a dead boy named Eutychus? I bet the sermon changed at that point. I bet people listened intently about the resurrection when Luke said he's dead and Paul said, don't have fear. His life is still in him. The power of the resurrection. It is the message of God's power that death has no power in the presence of God. But if you sleep in church, you don't know that. You don't feel that. You're not celebrating that. By the way, I, I said to a, a student in my office this week, you can never find a New Testament passage where Jesus attends a funeral that there isn't a resurrection. Go find me one. 
Every time in the New Testament that Jesus attends a funeral, the funeral stops. Because whether it's the widow of Nain's son or whether it's the little girl, Jesus calls or Lazarus. Jesus stops the funeral because he is life. Now, of course, I'm not talking about physical sleep. This isn't a sermon about somebody taking too much medication and you're tired when you get here. I wouldn't waste an hour of worship on that. I don't really think nodding off is the most dangerous kind of sleep in church. I think the most dangerous kind of being asleep in church is to be so accustomed to the message and the method of worship that we are numb to the power of the resurrection in this room. Maybe we're here, but we're not here. Maybe we're thinking about our work week or what we're going to prepare this afternoon for the family to eat or we're worried about something in our life. We're awaiting a test result from the lab. And whatever it is, there is something in our lives that make us present, but not really present in worship. And then like Eutychus, We miss it all because we're not focused on the power of God and the power of the resurrection. If God's word is really as important as we claim that it is, then there is nothing that you and I will do this week that is more important than this moment, this word, this hour. When we're gathered with God's people in God's house, to focus on his resurrection power. When we are spiritually quickened and awake, we are focused on the resurrected Jesus, and we're focused on his kingdom and his people and his worship. And when we're here, but not here, when we're thinking about our own problems, our own pressures, We're not focused on the gospel. I I know we all need our sleep. And I all know that we have a lot on our minds. But during this hour, we ought to fall into the center of the fire of worship. During this time, Of all times of the week, we ought to come as unworthy worshipers to a holy and a righteous God. Dare we go into his house and dare we still listen to his word, call upon his spirit and his presence. Fred Craddock tells the story of a young woman that he met at a church he was preaching at in Atlanta. She came up and said, this is the first time I have ever been in a church. Wow, you don't have that perspective very often, do we? 
he wasn't going to lose her perception. I mean, she was a newbie, never been in church before. And so the preacher said, really? She said, yes, yes. This is, I've heard about church all my life, but this is the first time I have ever been in a church. Well, how was it? Kind of scary, she said. Kind of scary, the preacher asked. Yeah, it was kind of scary. Why, 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 why did you find church scary, the preacher asked the lady who'd come for the first time. It just all seems so important. And I'm not around things that important very often. But when I entered this room, it just all seemed so important. How important is the gospel to you? Let us pray. Oh God, it's a good thing that this day and this place is a rhythm of our lives and the lives of our families, and yet we should never take for granted the power of the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. Some of us here this morning came merely out of habit rather than to honor you. And God, we ask for your forgiveness and we pray that you'll accept our worship today as a worship worthy through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And in his name we pray.